Well, good morning, 360 family. You know, as I was worshiping uh, this morning and even uh, earlier this morning together, I was reminded of how important it is to, to come together because um, there are things I believe that we can do only together that we can't do alone. And, and one of those things, I believe, is being transported to a certain to a level. And when we're together, I think what happens is Jesus promised us, he said, when two or three are gathered or when we're gathered as, as followers of Jesus Christ, then I'm, I'm there in your midst. And of course, you know, any healthy theology would say God is always with us. And yet I think Jesus said that because he said there's something distinctive about coming together. And one of those things I believe is that because that of life and how there's this gravitational pull to uh, you know, our ambitions and our jobs and our schedules and our struggles and our challenges and our hardships, that, man, it's important that we gather and, and, by, and through the act of worship find ourselves in another place. Quite often I find myself envisioning standing with the tens of, tens of thousands and millions in heaven as they're worshiping now with us. And I, and I believe it's necessary for us to, to, to do that as human beings. Otherwise, life begins to become too heavy and uh, too uh, in, you know, gravitationally uh, focused and earth-focused. And so it's healthy for us. So when we say thanks for being here, it's much more than it's just good to see you. Thanks for being together and adding to the togetherness of our worship and to, to the elevation of who we are. Today, we elevate ourselves in the Word of God in like manner because Jesus comes to us and he brings to us a dimension that no one else can bring. We know that. But particularly today, you're going to see that he brings this dimension that is really beyond our comprehension because he understands that life is, is kind of this gravitational pull towards, uh, you know, uh, space and time and stuff and all that. Uh, because I, I, everywhere we live, w- there is a place to that is like, oh, you live there. Our professions, like, oh, you do that. Like if, I, if you, we didn't know each other and you said, hey, I'm Steve and you know, I, I've got a music background, I've, I've been pastor, I was uh, part of the NASA program that we landed on the moon, uh, you know, there's nobody going to say, well, that's not a big deal. And, and probably nobody's going to say, hey, tell me more about your music background. Right? They're going to say, hey, tell me more about landing on the moon or wh- wherever that would be, right? So in this, in this mix of humanity, we have certain things that are important. I was thinking this morning, I've lived in seven different cities, not visited, but lived in seven different cities across the U.S. in my lifetime. And in each of those cities, there's like, oh, wow, you, you live there. Um, or, or places where I've lived, like, oh, wow, you live there. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a big difference, you know. And so uh, it's no different in the scripture. You were somebody by who your father was. This is, this is somebody, this is so-and-so son of, right? You see that a lot in the scripture. Or places that you even lived. And we see that even in the, what we're going to look at today, in the circumstances, scenario we're going to look at today. We've been going through the story of John uh, John's story of Jesus, I should say. John, just for some of you that don't know, perhaps new to the Bible, 
the story of Jesus was written out by four different men. And uh, John was one of them. He was the fourth one that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And John was Jesus' best friend. And as I've said a number of times throughout the last couple of months, we get a different perspective because of that. And even if you didn't know that, you would pick up on it by just reading because John says things that, that none of the other guys say. And he comes from a perspective that only would come from like if you were leaning into a really, really close friendship and you get to see kind of the inside track of who Jesus was. And so we're going to return to the first chapter of John, but we're going to skip ahead a little bit at a very unusual intersection that Jesus had with a guy named Nathaniel. It was the first time that they had met. Now, Nathaniel is not a guy that gets a lot of press in the Bible, but this is interesting intersection because he gives to us a dimension about Jesus as through John's story that is absolutely critical. It's heavy-duty theology, and we won't get too caught up in that because it really makes a difference in your life. It really makes a difference in the everyday traction and the, and the treadmill in which we live. And Jesus, as you will see, is, offers to us something that truly no one else can. So we begin in John chapter 1, verse 44, the first time Nathanael meets Jesus. Philip, uh, in, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. So right off the bat, oh, you live there. Bethsaida was a pretty nice place. And so you can see, we can relate to this because they're describing status of life and, and priorities and everything by, here's a guy that lives here, see? So Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the Messiah, the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of the carpenter, Joseph. And so Nathanael says, Nazareth? He lives there? You can feel the gravitational pull. He lives there? Can anything come from there? And the emphasis is on there because, see, we kind of live in a there, meaning not Sarasota, but the planet. Can you imagine the day Jesus said, hey, I'm going to earth? You're going there? I can't. It doesn't matter what part of the city you live in. You're going there because the best city in, on the planet earth cannot compare to the weakest city in heaven. I promise you that. And so... All of a sudden, you see Nathaniel and Philip, and they're having this conversation that's very planetary, very planetary. And then something crazy happens. It is crazy. And all of a sudden, we're not talking about planetary anymore. We're talking about way beyond the universe. Watch this. In verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, now here's a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Now, if you're Nathaniel, you're like, um, did we meet like at a football game somewhere? Because we've never met, and all of a sudden, you know my interior? You know what I, how I'm wired, that there's nothing false? He was, must have been a guy of high integrity, and yet we've never met. It's like if I never met you before and you're from Chicago and, and, and we say, hey, this is Steve and here's Bob. I'm like, hey, how is Chicago? I mean, wouldn't it freak you out? 
Like how, and so Nathaniel naturally says, how do you know me? You see, because Nathaniel's hey, Nazareth and son of Joseph and Bethsaida and all the, you know, he's, he's planetary. And then God, Jesus kind of says, hey, we're up here. I'm up here. And he says, how do you know me? And Jesus said, well, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before even Philip came and talked to you. Okay, how do you respond to that, honestly? I'm pretty much like, hey, hey, it was great to meet you. You know, you're kind of doing the back away. Hey, really great to meet you. Like, wow, the guy's weird, right? And if you're exploring who Jesus is right now, you may say, really? Is that really possible? I mean, is this like a bunch of fables? Where does that happen? Well, it would be a fable if he were just any ordinary human being. But the reality is is different. Ravi Zacharias, brilliant thinker, says this. And you got to think about this. To ask for the where of Jesus' home is the same as asking the when of God's beginning. Such categories are necessary in our finite existence because there was a time when we were not. Okay, okay, what does that mean? In other words, there was a time where you did not exist. There was a time where your life began on that moment, not when you were born, by the way, but the moment of your conception. That's the moment that our life begins. And at that moment, the day before that, you didn't exist. But see, when Jesus was conceived in the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit in the, in the womb of Mary, that was not his first moment of existence. You see, Jesus existed in eons of years before he came to the planet. Now you're thinking, wow, that is even more stunning. But Jesus goes to explain it, and it is absolutely critical that Christ existed before he was born, and he existed after he died. It is critical to our everyday life. You see, John in chapter 3 and verse 13 The words that we read here are, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. You see, Christ says, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to rise from the dead. But he says, but only the person that's done that, only the one who came from above. So he's given us this, hey, I came from above before I came here so that I can go back above, if you're not confused already. Again, Ravi Zacharias captures this in one sentence. This sentence was so important to me that I read it in a book two or three years ago, and it took me forever to find the sentence because I'm like, this this says it better than I can. Ravi Zacharias says this, Christ's earthly sojourn was not an, an origination, but a visitation. There it is. It's not an origination. In other words, he originated with Mary and Joseph as if that were a human birth, but it was a visitation where he existed a long time before he actually entered the, pres- the, the, the earth. Now watch how this breaks down and what it means for us in our response to that. So now we go to our key verse here in John chapter 1, verse 15. We've been tracking sentence by sentence, and now we land on our home plate verse uh, today. In John chapter 1, verse 15, 
Speaking of John the Baptist, a little confusing in the first chapter because John the apostle wrote this, John the disciple wrote this, but he's now speaking of John the Baptist in this setting. John the Baptist testifies concerning him. He cries out, John the Baptist cries out, saying of Christ, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me, if you weren't confused enough already. You see, again, in that day and age, the older one had the honor. The older one in the family, the oldest brother, had more weight of responsibility, had more honor and, and, and benefits at times. And so what John the Baptist is saying is that I was actually be- born before Jesus was born, and yet Jesus existed before I was born. Can you just imagine an entire crowd of thousands of people completely confounded. I was born first, John says, but he, was, he lived before I did. Because John was saying Christ existed before he came through, the, through, the, uh, through uh, Mary. He existed before that. The key word here is when John says that Christ surpasses me, surpasses me. And this is where we kind of land today because this is our response to Jesus being preexistent is the big $150 seminary word, preexistent, that he existed before he was born. And so when you look at the word surpass, I often like kind of nestling down into a word and finding its you know, original meaning. Sir, S-U-R, uh, prefix means above, So Christ, John the Baptist is saying, is passing us above. In other words, he's above our pay grade. He is passing us. He is living. He is existing above. John says, he has surpassed me. Our response to that is also a sir word, an above word, which is surrender to that. And if you look at the word surrender means I render upwards. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Christ is surpassing us. He is passing above us. Our response is that we come under and we say, I'm going to render myself upwards. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up myself to you. How does this make a difference in our everyday life? Let me throw out a few thoughts for you because, you know, we could all leave today and think, man, that was pretty lofty. That, that, that theology right there, boy, that's mind-blowing. Okay, mind-blowing theology rarely is life-changing. It's what you do with it. It's how do we make this every day? How do we say, what does that mean for me then when I get in my car and drive home? Why is that important to me to know that Christ existed before the planet? Try this on. You see, because Christ existed before the planet, unlike any other human being or religious leader particularly that walked the earth, because Christ existed before he came to the earth, that means that he was divine. In other words, because he was divine, that means that he is, big word, sovereign. That means in control. That means he is the plumb line. That means no matter what is going on, we say, God, you are beautiful in all your ways. I may not get it. I may not like it. I may not want it. I may be confused about it. I don't know that. But my response, my rendering up to you is going to be, God, you are beautiful in all your ways, and I surrender to that. 
have no idea why this is happening to me right now. I hate that this is happening to me right now. But God, because you have surpassed that you're passing over me, I'm not going to fight it. Rather, I'm going to surrender. Because see, when Jesus started talking about his preexistence, there was always a response to it, but never a mellow response to it. Never a mellow response. For example, in John chapter 8, in John chapter 8 and verse 58, Jesus said to this group of religious leaders, I tell you the truth, before Abraham, who was their hero, who had lived many, many years before Jesus was saying this, before Abraham was born, I am. I existed. You notice he didn't say I was. Because, you know, if he said I was, like, wow, man, were you like 3,000 years old and you're like the original Mr. Juice Man? I mean, you know, give me, I'd like to tap into that. He didn't say that before Abraham I was. He said before Abraham, I am. I was existing before Abraham and watched their mellow response at this. They picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. Now others had a different response. John, who also wrote the last book of the Bible called the book of Revelation, encountered Christ face to face in high def full color. In the book of Revelation, in the very first chapter, beginning in verse 12, John is speaking first person. John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. He didn't even know how to describe him. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash across his chest, his head and his hair were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice, listen, was like the sound of Niagara Falls, like rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a double, a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all his brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though he was dead, as though I was dead because he's like, wow, he surpassed me. Now, I don't think we would have much of a different response to that. That was easier if you were there than when, when you're here, right? If you were face-to-face with Christ with a sword coming out and eyes blazing like fire, shining like the sun, I mean, I think most of us would fall down and not have a mellow response. But watch what Christ says. Christ says, then, he, then John says, then Christ placed his hand on me and he said these words, don't be afraid because I am the first and I'm the last. I was from the beginning, and I'm at the end. I'm from A, I'm from Z. And, and John said, this is why I've rendered myself up to the one who is passing above me. You see, when that thing comes your way, it makes a difference who you see Jesus as. If he's just a good teacher, if he's just a, a guy that speaks prophecy, if he's just a religious leader of an organizational movement in history, then when things get tough, you won't have anyone to go to. You see, because Christ says, I'm the, I'm, I was from the beginning, I was all, all the way to the end. I'm in charge. I'm in charge. 
Here's the second thing. Um, let me put this in theological terms. Um, because Christ was preexistent, this ain't his first rodeo. In other words, that thing which you think is so unique to you. Uh, if, if you only knew this circumstance, Christ said, hey, I dealt with that in, back in 1963, and then again in 1912, and then again in 1827. And then blah, blah. In other words, he's been tracking with the human race here for quite some time. And our struggle and our secrets and our propensity toward ego and ambition and lust and all those things, Christ gets because he's been tracking with human design for years and years and years. There are times where we ask God, do you really get this, God? Have you ever been there? Do you really get this, God? You're asking the expert. And I'm reminded of Job where the, you know, the bottom was falling out and he was carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders and somewhere along the story he began to assume that he knew as much as God did and then God shows up in chapter 38 of Job and he says, hey Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? I've been around quite a bit. How do you find that you know so much? Proverbs 8 is a profound chapter. It's the personification of Jesus. In other words, speaking of Jesus in his preexistent form. I know that's heavy, but watch this. We know Jesus, by the way, as Savior, as King, as Messiah, as Lord, as teacher, as friend. But watch this. In Proverbs chapter 8, beginning in verse 22, I was appointed from eternity. From the beginning, before the world began, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries, the coastline, so that the water would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman by his side. Christ the Savior, Christ the King, Christ the, 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 the Holy One, Christ the craftsman? Have you ever seen Christ as the craftsman? Jesus is saying, I was there when the whole thing was going down. I was the craftsman by the Father's side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, delighting in mankind. He says, now then, listen to me. I've got some credentials, Jesus is saying. I've got something worth to say because I have been around since the very beginning. I know you, Christ would say to humanity. I know your struggles, your weaknesses, your challenges. I know you. I know your overworkedness, your tiredness. I know all that. I know your ambitions. I know all the pitfalls. I know that because I've been tracking with you for so long. Listen to me, he says. Blessed are those who keep them away. Listen to my instructions and be wise. It's that way in life, is it not? Something goes down in your house, there are certain people you want to call and certain people like me that you should never call. <laughs> I literally have screwed up so many things in my house that then I make the phone call because I'm trying to be the man of the house, you know, and fix the toilet thing. The thing is so complex. You know that little flappy thing? 58 years old, never figured it out. It's right up there with a heart valve or something. I mean, it, the, the thing is complicated. 
about three years ago, I went to my uh, main physician, and uh, he recommended that I get that you know procedure that you do as a man when you're in your 50s. I'll leave it at that. And uh, I said, hey, do you got any recommendations? And he said, yeah, you know, a friend of mine, this, this doctor is pretty young, he's about 35, pretty, pretty young for a doctor. And he says, yeah, I got a friend of mine. It's just starting out. You know, never had a patient, but I really want to throw him some business. I'm like, hey, what's plan B? That's not going to work for me. Literally haven't been back to that doctor either. So I want the old guy who's 75 who comes in braggingly and says, you know, I've done 312,473 of these. I'm like, that's the guy I want. I want, I want that guy. That inner struggle that nobody can understand, you'll want an expert. You'll want somebody that's been around, somebody that gets it. John chapter 3, verse 31. Now watch this. The one who comes from above, Christ, not comes from a man and the inception of conception of a man and woman. But the pre-existing Christ, the one who comes from above, is above all. The one who is born on earth belongs to the earth and speaks and gives advice as one of the earth. See, I'm not going to change the trajectory of my life because I read a self-help book written by a 35-year-old that does great infomercials. Because he's going to speak in earthly terms. But Christ, the one who comes from heaven, is above all. You see, he testifies to what he has seen and heard for millions of years. He's got the experience to say, God, I'm hurting. And he will say, I know it. I know it. I know what that feels like. And on this side of his visitation, he's been tempted in every single way. Sorry to bust your bubble, but you're not all that unique when it comes to temptation. And that's good news. We've got an expert that will walk through every single thing and know all about it. Here's a final thing. If you can just imagine living an eternity past and knowing that you're going to be in an eternity future. The temporariness of life is really, on earth, is really accentuated. Jesus said this in John 18, verse 36, at the end of his life where soldiers were coming to arrest him. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would have been prepared to fight. I would have done some kind of martial art training over the last three years. I would tell them to have their guns ready and make sure they're all cleaned and loaded. For this moment, if my kingdom, if I was trying, if I had the ambition, like every other king on this planet, to set up an empire, then, I, then things would be different. But see, my kingdom is not right here. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to, to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, 
But see, now my kingdom is not here. It's different place. My ambition is in a different place. I got a visual for you guys this morning. And uh, sometimes for me, when I'm studying something heavy, heavy, I'm I'm just thinking of a, a, a visual that at least will stick with my mind. So let's see if this sticks with you in your in your mind. I want you to imagine as these guys roll this out for us, um, that when Christ came to the planet, he had been living in eternity for, I don't even know how to say it, a gajillion? I mean, what number captures that, that space of time, right? We don't know. It's beyond, it really is beyond our, in our calculation. But I just want you to imagine for me, just catch this visual. Let's say that this, this rope that goes here and back and you know, goes all around, but let's just say this represents eternity past, okay? And let's just say this little thing right here represents a million years. And this is two million, three million, four million, five million years right there. And that Jesus has been living all those years right here. And then it goes there, and it goes there, and beyond. And because Christ has, has been living in the same location as he's going, it's like moving back to a place you've lived before, like, oh, man, I know all about that. This is nothing new. This is going to be all new for us. When we get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of wowzas going on, like, wowza, that's amazing. But see, Jesus has had this already. And he understands that he's going here, and he's gonna, then it's going to go on and on and on and on. So if you've been Jesus, and you've been living this in the past, and you're going to be, know that that's going to go on and on and on and on, and you got this little visitation in the middle called earth, what do you think his emphasis is going to be for this? Fight with all the gusto that you can get to get as much out of this as you can? Make sure that you fight for the highest level, the highest position, the best space. Do you think Christ would say, man, eat, drink, and be merry? Because, man, this thing right here, that's what it's all about. You see, Christ is the only one, because of this, who could come to us and say, this is nothing compared to this. I have been there. You see, if you're going to do whitewater rafting, in the, in the raft, what you don't want is a travel agent. The guy that sits at the desk and hands you a brochure. I did have a travel agent in the first service who was super offended by this illustration. Awesome. Lost another one. What I, who I want in the, in the raft is the tour guide, the guy who's done it a lot, who can come to me and say, hey, got a heavy turn up front, and when we get through this whole thing, 
man alive, it is incredible because I've been there. Every religious leader, listen, is only a travel agent pointing to something they know nothing about. Only Christ is the tour guide because he has done the river. You get it? So it's no surprise for us when Jesus says, lose your life, man. Lose your life. Because it's not about this. When you get into eternity, this is going to seem so hugely small. Whatever that thing is you're walking through right now, God said, it's small. It's small. You've just got to elevate your thinking. You know, the Apostle Paul said it like this, watch. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison of anything you've ever known. It's beyond comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are unseen, listen, are very transient. They're very temporary, but the things that are unseen, they go on and on and on and on, and Jesus comes and says, I've been there. And that's why he would say to us, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth, guys. I've been there. Set your heart on things above, not on things below. Because Jesus has been where we're going. Father, thank you, God. for knowing us more, God, than we feel like we could know ourselves, for knowing how we tick, for knowing our weaknesses, our struggles, our, the times where we just say, I'm afraid, God. I'm hurt, God. I'm, I'm angry, God. That you know all those things. You know the secret closets of everybody's life because you've seen billions and billions and billions, God, of secret closets. You see our propensity, our ambitions, the things that seem so important to us, God, and you had enough compassion to come down and say, listen, guys, you got to recalibrate. You got to review this thing because this is not it. This is not everything. And so, God, here we are as human beings, Father, who you've created, looking to you. And for whoever is together with us today that is carrying that, that super heavy thing, God, and, and it's and it's above us, we don't get it, and sometimes we don't get you in it. God, we surrender and say, God, you make all things beautiful. All your ways are beautiful, God. Even in the very difficult places, you're beautiful. 
and God, you're sovereign and you're in charge. And God, we just surrender sweetly to those things. And Father, there are times where we ask advice from others, but in that most core inner part of us, Lord, would you remind us today of your resume, Jesus, that you have truly tracked with human beings, billions, and whatever that thing is, God, you get it. There is no shadow of a doubt, God, that you get it. Even our successes, Father, even our successes, you get it. But you gently remind us, God, that not to get caught up even in those successes. Only kingdom works because, God, your kingdom is of a different place, not here. And Father, we're finally reminded today, God, of the very small spot that this planet plays in our human existence, God. And that, the, the, that eternity, Father, that there truly is no comparison. So whatever it is, Father, that we have today, each of us, God, that you fully are aware of, we look to Jesus, the craftsman, today. The ancient of days. The beginning and the end, the Alpha, the Omega, the A, the Z. We look to Jesus today, God, for your insight, for your empathy, for your comfort, and you will have from us, God, our surrender. God, we pray together for those who've come into this place together with us who are searching for you. And for whatever reason, God, you have, they are here. There's many different reasons why people come. But at the, at the underbelly of it all, God, as human beings, we recognize there's more than this life promises to give God there's something else and that something is a someone and so we pray God I pray right now for those who are searching for you and in this time of prayer if that's you let me just say something directly to you God loved you so much that he stepped out of eternity through Christ and came to earth not just to show us his divinity but to die for humanity, to lay himself on a cross, to absorb your sins, your brokenness, your failures, to absorb all of that, to give you new life and an assurance, a guarantee of eternity with him. And if you've been trying and trying and trying to better yourself, to get God's favor, Jesus comes and says, I need you to set that aside because you can never do it. And it's great news. I've done it for you on the cross and I shed my precious blood to cover every sin, 
past, present, and future. Christ says to you today, would you surrender? Would you render up yourself and allow me to come in and bring new life to you? Would you do that? If you're here searching for God, you may be saying, are you talking to me? I would say, yes, absolutely. And Christ is talking to you, asking you to surrender, to render up your life and to trust completely, not in yourself, not in others, not in religion, but completely trust in the sacrifice that Jesus made for you because it is finished. At that moment, it is finished. All your struggles, all your searching. Would you come to Jesus today? Philip's invitation and Nathaniel, come and see. Come and see Christ. It's the same invitation for you. Come and see Christ. Come and have Christ in your life. Who is here today that Christ is sending that message to? In this time of prayer, is that you? That you would say for the first time, I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want him to have my life. I want the guarantee of eternity. I wonder who in this room would have the humility, the courage to privately, we won't point you out at all, to raise your hand and then you can put it, I want to acknowledge you and pray for you. Is there anyone here that would raise their hand and say, I want Christ, I want to surrender to Christ. I want to do it on my own. I want Christ in my life. We'll just pause for a very private moment. I want Christ in my life. He's the only one that can bring new life. Father, our hearts, God, are absolutely uh, elevated today in who you are. We love you and need you. Oh, goodness, we need you, Lord. And uh, Father, we give ourselves to you. We surrender. We render up ourselves. And we thank you so much for who you are. Christ, the craftsman. We pray it in his name. Amen. Amen.